Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you all are doing well. I uh, sure missed talking with you last week. I was on vacation last week, and uh, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back and refreshed, and you know, I'm just glad to be here. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started this new series, uh, and the series is titled I Doubt It, and it's based on this thought that there's a lot of different things that the Bible says and that are written in Scripture that I'm not quite sure I believe. I'm not quite sure I understand it all. And in this series, it's more informational than anything. I want to provide, I want, to, I want us to have a basis for the things that we believe and we hold as true when it comes to the scriptural accounts and the stories and all of those things. You know, what kind of things do we have that, that say that uh, it is accurate, that it's true, that, you know, the Bible is, you know, a representation of the things that happened centuries ago, and that in it we can trust. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this series uh, as we continue with it today, is I'm going to show you some slides and talk about some of the things that archaeologists uh, and researchers, historians and all, have uncovered or use as documents and documentation of the biblical accounts that we read about in Scripture. So let's open with a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll get involved with that. Lord, I just pray that this morning as we uncover uh, the truths that you have written to us in your word, and we look at the things that support those truths, I pray that you would help us to understand and to glean from them what we should, and just to continue to build up our faith in who you are, and our faith in what your plan is for our lives. So it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, let's take a look at some of these things. Here is a an image of uh, some pots. Uh, they were found in a particular place. Uh, they were excavated on the southern side of Israel, and they've dated these particular pots and fragments and everything from about 1100 B.C., and that puts them into the right time of what we know as the time of the judges. Now, as you see there on the screen, uh, the one of the fragments has some writing on it, and the writing is the nickname of a man that we read about in Scripture as one of the judges, and his name was Gideon. And the nickname is Jerubal. And it is a nickname that was given to Gideon after he destroyed a pagan altar that had been built to the god Baal. And Jerubal means let Baal or Baal contend with him. Um, let me, let me remind you of the story. You know, following his call from God, um, Gideon destroyed his father's idols that he had built uh, to this pagan god Baal, or Baal. And he replaced those altars uh, with an altar dedicated to the true God. But what happened was the men of the city were a little bit on the upset side, so they came to Gideon's father, who was named Joash, and he was the he was the king that set up those pagan altars. He wasn't really the greatest guy. 
he was kind of one of the bad guys uh, of that era. But uh, Gideon was called by God to be a judge and to be a, a great military leader and to really bring the nation of Israel back to their worship of God. So anyway, the men of the city came to Joash and they said, bring your son out here so that we can stone him to death because he's destroyed and taken down the altars to our God Baal. Well, what really is kind of cool here, first of all, it, it verifies that there was a person by the name of Gideon and that his name or his nickname was, uh, you know, the one that uh, we read about here. And and also it, it kind of references the fact that, that Baal was a pagan god and he was put on trial in some respect. You see, what happened was Joash who was Gideon's father, uh, said to the group of people that wanted him to send his son out to be punished, you know, he said to him, he says, look, will ye contend for Baal? If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because one hath broken down his altar. What he was saying was, if this pagan god that this altar was built to honor really is a god, then let him punish my son. Let him come down and contend with my son Gideon. And, of course, we know the story. You know, that didn't happen. And this is just another one of those references that supports the fact that Gideon existed, that Baal was a pagan god that was worshipped. And in this scenario that, you know, God was honored by these efforts of a man Gideon, who, who followed his call. He was a judge. He was a good man. He was an honorable man. He was a godly man. And he stood up for what uh, was right. And Anyway, as you look at the picture here, you see some stone uh, jars, uh, some pottery, and there's an inscription up there on the upper right uh, as we look at it. And that was the nickname, uh, again, which supports the fact that he had this this nickname, you know? Okay. Let's take a look at the next slide. And everybody has heard of Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala would be a proper, uh, the, the real name, the proper name of her. Uh, since the city that she, or the village that she was from was, the, was Magdala. And this is a... Um, a view of the Temple of Magdala. Now, you got to know that, first of all, there was only a handful of first century synagogues that have really been excavated in Israel. Uh, this is one of the ones that was most likely visited by Jesus during his ministry uh, because of its location. And it was very near the Nazareth to Capernaum Road. And course this is the hometown of Mary of Magdala uh, and this particular temple was um, a place where Mary probably visited on a regular basis as well as Jesus visiting on a regular basis so they found the temple that was built uh, to Magdala or in uh, in Magdala I should say and this temple was visited by Jesus, I'm sure, many times, and by Mary many different times also. Let me share with you, too, um, 
here we go this is kind of a bird's eye view of that temple site and as you look down it's it's a fairly large area and you can see the temple there in the middle of the picture was a fairly large area the picture beforehand shows that center section of the temple but there's been a building that's been erected over it to, to protect the site uh, since then but this just kind of gives you an idea of what the area in the temple area of Magdala probably or, or what it did look like because we found these ruins there again this is just more support for the fact that uh, Magdala actually existed Mary actually existed uh, this is one of the places that Jesus would have visited. And there's been other artifacts that have been discovered in this area, too, that support the biblical account. Let's take a look at this particular slide. Uh, this is the oldest known inscription uh, that's been uncovered so far with the name of Jerusalem, or translated Jerusalem. Uh, it was found at the gate of a, of a city that they excavated, uh, and it is written in Aramaic. And the name is, is found repeatedly through the Dead Sea Scrolls. And as, they, as you see on the screen, they've dated this to about 100 B.C. It supports the fact that this is the area and this was the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we know that Jerusalem existed and it's been rebuilt several different times, but this is confirming that there was a Jerusalem there about 100 B.C. and a little bit beyond. Um, the village that this particular column was found in was right outside of the main city of Jerusalem. Uh, this village no doubt served many different pilgrims uh, who were on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which was just a few miles to the east. And well, I think there's one more picture here for you. This is the archaeologist that actually discovered that particular column. Uh, it just shows her dusting it off. Um, but the inscription is extremely important because it is the oldest uh, inscription that we have that references the city of Jerusalem. So we can be assured that Jerusalem uh, existed in that place uh, during that particular time period. Okay, let's take a look at another interesting scenario here. This is called the Pilot Ring. Uh, it is a ring uh, that was that had the crest uh, for Pontius Pilate. It was made out of copper, um, and it was probably worn by not Pilate, but by someone who had the authority to act. Uh, for him. It would have been the seal that, you know, was was seen and represented, you know, I'm here uh, because Pilate has sent me and these are his instructions. And it was kind of like his signature. It was the authoritative part uh, that a person would need in order to, uh, to act and to do things authorized uh, by Pilate's authority. They have dated this ring, and it is of the correct age for that time period. And as you can see on the right, there is uh, some enhanced imagery there of what the original ring probably looked like. And they've done that with some uh, very innovative photographic uh, type of um, techniques. 
Another thing that we read about in the Bible a lot is the shekel. And the shekel, uh, here is a picture of a two-shekel weight. Uh, it is dated to the first temple period. Uh, it was actually found uh, by the western wall of the Temple Mount. And it was found in some debris that was used to backfill the foundation of the Temple Mount uh, back when Herod the Great expanded the temple. Well, what, why is this so important? Well, it's important because it, it, again, is support for the references that we read about in Scripture of the shekel and the two shekel weights. And, and it, I mean, the shekel was, it, they, they would use scales to balance things out. So if you were going to bring an offering to the temple and the offering had to be so many shekels, uh, they would use these to balance the scale and to make sure that your offering was of the right proportions. And it was used for the paying of taxes and all kinds of things. But again, we read a lot in scripture about the shekel and how that weighting system was used uh, kind of as a currency back then. And this is another way that we have uh, definitive uh, proof that that type of thing existed. So that's the shekel, and that's, a, that's just one of many that have been found. Let me give you another image here to take a look at. This is uh, from the Second Temple period. <clears throat> this is called an ossuary. And an ossuary is a stone box in which the remains of a deceased person are buried. Uh, this particular ossuary, um, it, it has an inscription on it that says Joseph uh, of Kaffa, and it is dated to the Second Temple period. Uh, Joseph was the son of Caiaphas, it tells us. And this verifies for us that, you know, previous to this young man, Joseph, being buried in this, in this uh, ossuary, that his father... His name was Caiaphas during the same time period that Caiaphas uh, was the, the leader, the religious leader in the Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus uh, and had the Romans condemn him to death. Uh, this kind of proves that there was a Caiaphas who was the religious leader of the day. Uh, it tells us that there was a Caiaphas who was the high priest at the time of Jesus and his name was Caiaphas. And that Caiaphas resided over the trial of Jesus. So, again, more information, more proof to kind of understand that the scriptural accounts that we read about, there is support for them. There is backup for them. There is some proof out there that says, yes, these people did live. Yes, they did live during the correct time period. Uh, yes, they did live in the correct area based on the things that have been found and uncovered. All right, let's take a look here. This one here is kind of interesting. Bring it back up here for you. And this is called the Pilot Stone. Uh, this particular stone uh, is a carved limestone and has a partially intact inscription that mentions Pontius Pilate. Uh, and it mentions that he is the prefect of the Roman province of Judea. I mean, all of this lines up perfectly with the biblical account. And this is, again, more support, more documents, 
uh, documentation that supports what Scripture tells us about Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and, you know, the uh, Roman procurator uh, during in, in Judea during those days. And it's, it's just, again, more support. Let me show you some more support here for a biblical account. This is um, an edifice that was built by Pontius Pilate. And it was built to honor the emperor Tiberius. And it says on there that it was um, that it was built to honor, this particular edifice was built to honor Tiberius, and that it was built by Pontius Pilate, who was the prefect of Judea. Again, more support. And, you know, the more that archaeologists uh, do their work and the more things that are uncovered, the more support we seem to be getting over and over and over again for the biblical accounts uh, that we read about in Scripture. Okay. Let's take a look here at another I want to show you. These are a couple of pictures of some excavations in a particular area of the Jordan Valley. This is the pathway that the nation of Israel took as they headed toward the Red Sea. And as they headed toward the Red Sea, what happened? You know, we have this imagery that they would, you know, walk along during the day and then they'd set up their tents and build campfires and bring out the s'mores and all that stuff at night. That That's not what happened. You know, they would travel, and sometimes it was by day, sometimes it was by night. Uh, but when they stopped, they would set up some kind of uh, temporary shelters or temporary housing, uh, temporary places to store things, temporary you know places to to uh, house their animals and so forth. And these two pictures uh, kind of show what the area looked like, and also it shows us some examples of some of the structures that the Israelites built as they were on their way uh, to the Red Sea. So again, it's just kind of more support for the you know, the narrative that we read about in the book of Exodus. Okay, let's keep moving on here a little bit. This is the remnants of a place. Uh, it's a gate of a city. Uh, and we believe that it is the place uh, of Bethsaida, the city of Bethsaida. And it's the place where Jesus felt or fed the multitudes. Originally, uh, it was called the city of Zur, but then it became uh, changed uh, later on, and it was known as Basidia. As it says there, um, there are not a lot of gates in this country from this time period. This particular person from the Basidia project uh, told uh, the interviewer of the Post, Bethadia was the name of the city during the second temple period, but during the first temple period, it was named the city of Zer. Remember, the temple was in Jerusalem was demolished and then finally rebuilt again. So this particular gate here references the city of Bethadia, which is where Jesus fed the multitude of people. So we want to remember that. This is, and if you look up in the top center of this particular picture, 
what you see is an overhead view, a sky view of what that site looked like, where the temple was. And this is still in the city of Bethsaida. But as you see, the guy is uncovering there and cleaning off this gigantic stone mural that is in the floor of this particular temple. And it references Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the fish. You know, the fish and the three loaves and so forth. There's a massive mural that was constructed in that particular building to uh, commemorate that particular activity that Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. Again, more support, more proof for what we know as the biblical narrative uh, that we read about. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look at another one. ISIS fighters accidentally kind of collaborated uh, what some of the Bible tells us. ISIS fighters took over this particular city, uh, Mosul, in 2014. And in it, they demolished the tomb of Jonah. And they started digging tunnels, and they were looking for buried treasures and artifacts that they could use and sell to finance their terrorist operations. Well, once the Iraqi army booted them out, um, archaeologists went back into the site to see how much damage had been done. But they started making discoveries. You see, the tunnels that were, had been dug by the terrorist group ISIS revealed some previously untouched uh, aspects of a, a Syrian palace in the, that was in the ancient city of Nineveh and had many different inscriptions that collaborate the biblical account of what took place in the city of Nineveh and with Jonah. I mean, this was an accidental discovery that ISIS had no intention of doing. You know, and they, they really were booted out of the area uh, long before they could actually start tearing the thing apart and trying to sell it off and use that. You know, once again, I want you to understand that what we're looking at here are simply references that support the biblical narrative of what we read about in Scripture. That's what I want to offer to you in this particular series called I Doubt It. I want to look at how we respond to people when people say, well, why is it that you believe the Bible? You know, it's just a book written by a bunch of people over hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, it, it's not just a book that was written by several people over hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a tremendous amount of support and documentation out there and archaeological, archaeo can't even talk today, archaeological finds that, that show us that the biblical accounts were true. And that the timing of them, the placement of them, and all of those aspects of it um, are accurate. So it's just more wood on the fire of belief and trust in the Word of God that He has given to us. So that's my intent, is to give you that to hold on to and to look and really to think about as you continue on the journey of faith. Because ultimately, it'll always get back to what I honestly believe about God and whether or not I trust him. That's the bottom line. So friends, this week, take a look at this, uh, this concept of the support for the things that we believe. And maybe do some of your own research or do some of your own readings or whatever. 
and just see what else is out there that supports the things that we teach and we preach and we believe in when it comes to Scripture. Okay? It's good to be back. I'm glad to be with you. So thanks and God bless. Uh, let others know that we are back and online again, and I will see you next week. Thanks and God bless. Tough Questions for God is a teaching ministry of the Rosebush United Methodist Church, where we challenge our faith with some of the most difficult issues. Tough Questions for God is available on Facebook Live Sundays at 11.30 a.m. or go on our website at toughquestionsforgod.org and just follow the links on the homepage for YouTube or via podcast. Thanks for joining and don't forget to like and share. God bless. Tough Questions for God is a teaching ministry of the Rosebush United Methodist Church, where we challenge our faith with some of the most difficult issues. Tough Questions for God is available on Facebook Live Sundays at 11.30 a.m. or go on our website 